0: It's Monday, January 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. In an effort to end the partial government shutdown that has been going on for a month now, President Trump offered a compromise deal which still included $5.7 billion for the wall, but also included temporary protections for DACA recipients and an extension of TPS. But the plan was a non-starter with Democrats and many in conservative circles slammed the idea as amnesty for the wall. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to discuss this and also that huge report from BuzzFeed News that the special counsel has disputed. Next, we will tell you the story of Michelle Hadley, Ian Diaz, her U.S. Marshal ex-boyfriend and his new wife, Angela Diaz, who framed Michelle in a Craigslist rape fantasy plot. It is a strange story with twists and turns that landed michelle in jail for three months until she was exonerated but the damage to her life had already been done now michelle hadley is fighting back by filing a lawsuit to reclaim her good name jessica testa reporter for buzzfeed news joins us to break down the story it's news without the noise let's dive in open up the government And then democrats and republicans can have a civil discussion and come up with bipartisan solutions it was the president who single-handedly took away daca and tps protections in the first place offering some of those protections that he took away back in exchange for the wall is not a compromise joining us now is ginger gibson political reporter for reuters So there was some interesting news over the weekend. First off, the president held another address to the country, basically proposing a new deal to end the government shutdown, get funding for the wall and provide a few concessions to Democrats, uh, hoping that they would come to the table and want to make a deal. It uh, didn't seem to go so well. I think even before the president delivered his remarks, Nancy Pelosi had already said that it was a non starter and that it would not get any traction among Democrats. What do we know that was in that proposal from the president, and why are Democrats not willing to come to the table with it?
1: Well, anytime we see politicians start to negotiate in public or make their offers on television, it's generally a good bet that it's not going to go over. If this was a serious negotiating session, they would have had those conversations, the primary figures in person face to face. But we did see the president get on television on Saturday afternoon and say that he was willing to trade money to build the wall for a two year extension of the DACA program, which is the program that protects dreamers or children who were brought here undocumented when they were small children from being deported. This is a pr- like a big concern for Democrats getting this protection, but I had been told by Democrats at the very beginning of the shutdown that they weren't willing to trade the wall for dreamer protection. And I heard one put it really well on Saturday when they said a temporary two-year protection, which is what the president offered, would be fine if they wanted a temporary two-year wall, build it out of paper, and then they would be willing to make that trade.
0: Right. I mean, you would have to make these protections for uh, DACA and even uh, the TPS permanent to even get kind of the ball rolling at all. As you said, I totally agree that these conversations should be had behind closed doors where they can yell at each other and argue and get heated so they can come to an actual deal rather than doing it over TV. Because right away, everybody's going to posture right from the beginning. So this is just reaching out straight up to the base, I would imagine, for the president. And right away, it got condemned from people in conservative circles. Uh, Ann Coulter, a bunch of other people were saying, you know, this is amnesty. Uh, We didn't want this stuff. So the president getting flack on all sides from it.
1: The president is trying to convince the American people that he's the one being reasonable. He's the one offering compromise and that Democrats are refusing to. But you're right, we saw a quick backlash from the most conservative in his party saying that they wouldn't want amnesty. And then Sunday morning, the president tweeted that he would make an amnesty deal if it were something bigger. So that's inflaming his base even more than offering the two years on uh, on DACA extension.
0: Who holds all the cards here? I mean, it seems like polls showing that Everybody's blaming the president and Republicans for the shutdown. Democrats still seem to be okay. Uh, Are they the ones holding the cards on this?
1: It's unclear. You know, it, it, would make sense that the president would understand the political realities of what's going on. But I think that he views this as a winner for him. Still, his base thinks he's holding strong. He's not giving up. He's sticking to his point. He's doing what he told them he would do. There's still not a real downside for the president until he starts to see one. I think at a minimum, he thinks he's holding the cards.
0: Somebody's got to give and I don't know when it's going to happen. Let's move on to the other big story that happened over the week was a big report out of Buzz feed news where they said that they had evidence or they uh, spoke to two law enforcement officials that said that the president did instruct Michael Cohen his former lawyer to lie to Congress about the Trump Moscow project and then uh, the special counsel's office took an extraordinary step after that and disputed that report and said, hey, this is uh, not true. The basis of what you guys are uh, reporting on right now is not very true. So what do we know about that?
1: This is just an extraordinary step by Mueller's office to dispute a story. They almost never weigh in. They have not weighed in publicly on any story up until this point. So it's really remarkable to see them do so. A number of news organizations came forward to say that none of their reporting had shown that Mueller interviewed officials from Trump's business, Trump Org. So that was one piece of it. There was quite a number of news organizations that said a fundamental piece of the BuzzFeed story did not comport with their reporting. But I think that what we're seeing here is the president trying to capitalize on that. This was a really bad news moment for him. It didn't last a full cycle, didn't last a full day. And he's tried to attack the press for it. I don't think that's the end of him trying to attack the press for it. He's not unwilling to say that he thinks that people that he calls a witch hunt were then <laughs> proving that he didn't do something wrong right. so he's trying to capitalize on it in his own way.
0: Yeah, it was really big and then the president's speech on the border came After that, so that kind of cut this story in half a little bit. And then with the special counsel weighing in, saying some of it's not true, put some water on this story. But the BuzzFeed says that they learned of this through internal company emails, text messages, other documents. That's how Mueller's team knew that this is what happened. But every time something comes out that is inaccurate... It is a plus for the president because he gets to throw it back. This is the continuing witch hunt. The mainstream media is involved on this also. Are Democrats going to be looking into this? Because it was some pretty big allegations.
1: Yes. Democrats said on Friday they would be looking into this. And they indicated over the weekend that they would still look into this. Given the nature of the report, there's about to just be a battery of investigations coming out of the House Democrats. And this would just be one tiny piece and a bigger puzzle of investigations that they're trying to put
0: together. I think this just also ramps up the heat on Mueller and his investigation to wrap it up, start sharing some evidence of what's going on, just so that these wild accusations don't happen in the media also. So we'll see how it all turns out. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: This all comes back to the condo. This real estate dispute is the root of this sort of insane email impersonation Craigslist rape plot. The fact that he wanted to stay in the condo and he wanted her to be able to like relinquish all claim to the condo that they had once shared.
0: Joining us now is Jessica Testa, national reporter for BuzzFeed News. We're going to be talking about a story that happened a couple years ago. That's the story of Michelle Hadley. Her story blew up in the news. It made national headlines. You might have heard some Something similar to real-life Gone Girl, framed love rival in twisted Craigslist rape plot, all sorts of crazy things. Michelle Hadley was framed by her ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend, and she was put in jail. It ruined her life. She's fighting back now. She filed a lawsuit just to restore her good name. But let's start from the beginning. What happened to Michelle Hadley?
2: A good place to start Michelle's story is in the summer of 2016. When she arrives home late one night, she'd just gone on a date with like this brand new guy. She said it was a really great date. So she gets home and she sees a car parked outside her house she pulls into her driveway and a bunch of men get out of this car and it turns out they're detectives they're in an unmarked car and they're in plain clothes they start asking her questions about her devices her laptop her tablet and her phone and they ask to see them and she gives them over and they take a look at her emails and they end up arresting her on the spot And that night she is accused of sending really threatening emails to her ex-boyfriend's new wife and Setting up these elaborate schemes in which men on Craigslist would come to their house where this couple lived and try and rape the woman.
0: Yeah, she went to jail that night, still in her dress from that date that you were talking about. She was freezing in jail cell. And it was a month earlier that threatening emails had begun going to the inbox of her ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend. Her name was Angela Diaz. Her ex-fiance, I guess, his name was Ian Diaz. And there were just crazy text messages like, I hope you're scared to death tomorrow. Be prepared. Don't sleep. We will steal your child and watch it as it dies. You know, just all sorts of crazy messages And as you said, a lot of these things were coming from emails and accounts associated with Michelle Hadley. She had no idea what was going on.
2: They came from about a dozen different accounts, like Gmail accounts, Outlook accounts, Hotmail accounts, and many of them had variations of her name and the username, and they would be signed in various ways by Michelle Hadley. It would be like Michelle S. Hadley or M.S.H., her initials. But Michelle really didn't know exactly what was going on, but she could tell there was something weird happening because she was getting these emails emails from these servers telling her that her real email address, her primary Gmail address was being used as the recovery account on some of these new strange accounts that she had never heard of. So she had a sense before she was arrested that there was something shady going on online, but she didn't exactly know what it was.
0: Part of her allegations are that this is also a case where a bunch of cops were looking out for each other. Her ex-fiance, Ian Diaz, was an officer and she alleges that the police department, the Anaheim Police Department in California, didn't really do their due diligence when investigating the crime. Some simple investigations could have uncovered exactly what was going on.
2: According to her, this lawsuit that she recently filed, there was an arrest warrant that came through a few days before the first her first arrest, and that arrest warrant tied back some of the threatening emails to the IP address of the condo where her ex and his new wife lived. So, Theoretically, police could have known before the arrest that emails were coming from that condo's IP address and and not from the IP address of Michelle's home or work
0: or school. And that's where some of it gets kind of complicated and where the story really deepens. Michelle Hadley and Ian Diaz, they had a condo together. And when they were breaking up, they were trying to split it up, sell it, whatever they were trying to do. So that became a point of contention. And when they were separated, a lot of those emails and threatening messages were coming from there where Michelle wasn't anywhere near. If the cops had looked into that, maybe they could have put pieces together a little bit quicker.
2: And Michelle alleges that this all comes back to the condo. This real estate dispute is the root of this sort of insane email impersonation Craigslist rape plot. The fact that he wanted to stay in the condo and he wanted her to be able to like relinquish all claim to the condo that they had once shared. And she told that much to the cops. You know, the very first night she was arrested, she told them like, This is what's going on. This is our real estate dispute. This is why he would be doing this. She also, before her arrest, she had been calling the Anaheim Police Department, she says in her lawsuit, at least four times, trying to tell them what was going on, but no one would ever call her back.
0: Michelle and Ian didn't have the best of relationships. They fought a lot. She alleges that he forced her to have sex with another man while he watched and recorded it. Some of this stuff gets really deep and shady. And she sent him a message one time, just really angry, going off the handle, And he reported it to police saying she's sending me annoying emails, almost like harassing. And he kind of started a paper trail so that when police saw these messages, when the reported messages were going to Angela Diaz, the new girlfriend, there was already that paper trail. There was already that already that precedent that Michelle was kind of crazy and she was a vindictive ex-lover and that that's why she was targeting her. Ian was kind of a step ahead of the game on that.
2: The way that those emails were connected is the real email that she sent that you mentioned that was really huge. And frankly, a little crazy like that email had language like invoking God and the Bible and heavenly wrath and that kind of thing. So later when Michelle was being impersonated, whoever was impersonating her used that same voice, although they were much more violent about the way that they were invoking God.
0: As the way this story progresses, you know, we're talking about the condo that's in dispute. Michelle had started seeing the name of Angela on some of the papers. Then all of a sudden she was hit with a restraining order so she had to go to court for that and that's the first time that she met the new girlfriend and she threw a stack of papers on there these were all the messages that she had been receiving so she was kind of ambushed in court she was stunned never heard of this other woman and now she's being struck with all these papers like this is what you're doing to me this is how you're harassing me
2: One thing that's notable about Michelle's relationship to Angela is that so so from the very beginning she only suspected her ex Ian of doing this to her of impersonating her of sending these emails she didn't really know that Angela was involved. So she actually, like, kind of felt bad for Angela because she had felt like her and Ian were in this abusive, toxic relationship and she saw her as Ian's latest alleged victim.
0: Part of the story was that some of these harassing messages and whatnot, there was an ad placed on Craigslist where it said, hey, you know, I'm into rape fantasies. Catch me while I'm walking my dog and hold me down and rape me, all this stuff. So there came a report where Angela Diaz, the new girlfriend, had said something like somebody attacked me, things like that. They arrested Michelle a second time because of that. And she actually went to jail for about three months. A lot of the story revolves around... Michelle getting her life back together and kind of going through that ordeal. She was in jail for three months and she was branded as one of the worst kind of inmates in there. So she did not have a very pleasant time in there.
2: Michelle is definitely someone who considered herself like a very naive and innocent person. You know, she'd never had any trouble with the law. She'd came from this sort of strict conservative family who were very much supportive of law enforcement. So she was totally, totally out of her element and she quickly had to learn some of the rules of prison lifestyle. And she was able to sort of ally herself, at least with her. She had this roommate who was much older than her from a much different background and who was sort of deaf and, and hard of hearing. And so the deputies would mock this woman. And so Michelle started defending her and helping her avoid getting in trouble with these deputies. And, and that gave her some purpose. But for the most part, those three months were pure hell and agony. You know, she was deprived of medical necessities and and toilet paper at one point she says she didn't have for a while. It wasn't until so, so at three months go by and all of a sudden the cops want to interview her again for the first time since her arrest.
0: And at that point, it's a kind of a weird twist of fate where... She ends up getting out because of the man she suspected to be behind the whole thing in the first place, her ex, Ian Diaz. Apparently, he went to the police and kind of blamed it all on the new girlfriend, Angela Diaz, and said she was the one that was doing this. Later on, they said that she faked checks and jobs and doctor's notes. She faked a cancer scare, like all sorts of stuff. But he attributed all this stuff to Angela Diaz. And then that's when Michelle was able to get out of jail.
2: Ian and Angela's relationship had gone south by this point, as we understand. understand it. And that's why he came to police. He said, this woman I married is a pathological liar and and laid out all of these sort of deceptive things that she had done. And that's when the police were like, okay, well, let's take a look and see if maybe Angela could have done this the the whole time. But what didn't happen, according to Michelle, and and this is central to her lawsuit, is that the police at any point didn't consider Ian a suspect. They didn't investigate him. They only sort of listened to what he had to say as he pointed fingers first at her and then to this other woman.
0: So in the end, She, uh, the new girlfriend, Angela Diaz, really took the fall of the whole thing. As we said, you know, this is uh, Michelle alleges that Ian was behind all of this. And a lot of the evidence kind of points to that. It was in the condo where he was living. That was the huge dispute. She alleges all this kind of blue wall of police, you know, protecting their own and then protecting the reputation of the police department because they didn't really investigate it thoroughly enough. And in the end, she took the fall for the whole thing. Uh, Nothing happened to Ian.
2: And Angela, from Michelle's perspective, is definitely guilty, you know, definitely did something wrong here. She played into Ian's game. But yeah, that her main issue right now as she moves forward with this lawsuit is the fact that someone is out there who she believes set her up and he hasn't been held accountable at all for that.
0: Where is Michelle now? Obviously, she's filed this lawsuit to try to restore her name and just kind of get closure on the whole thing. but. Where is she at now and how is she coping with all of this?
2: She's doing a lot better now than she was a few years ago. She is living in New York City and uh, working in marketing for a beauty company. You know, she'd gotten her MBA after she'd gotten out of jail. She was able to like finish this degree program that she had started. In many ways, she has put her life back together. But there is this huge emotional trauma that she still feels. And I guess anyone would feel because it's something that you can't really get away from, especially in this day and age. Her Google results will follow her for the rest of her life
0: well she has her lawsuit now we'll see what comes of that i'm sure Uh, i mean i wish that she gets all the closure she needs uh and yeah it's just a cautionary tale to be careful who you meet and get involved with and and, uh and check those ip addresses i guess (laughs) that's right jessica testa national reporter for buzzfeed news thank you very much for joining us
2: thank you for having me